Welcome to Todd Talks, where my guest today is Dr. Lisa Marie Bowens. Dr. Bowens serves as Associate Professor of New Testament at Princeton Theological Seminary. Dr. Bowens has degrees from the University of North Carolina Greensboro, Duke Divinity School, and holds the PhD at the very place she now teaches, uh, Princeton Theological Seminary. Uh, Dr. Bowen's first book, which caught the attention of the Academy, is An Apostle in Battle, Paul and Spiritual Warfare in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 to 10. Then Dr. Bowen's second book, uh, African-American Readings of Paul, Reception, Resistance, and Transformation, is her second published volume by Erdman's. And it's this book where we want to focus our conversation today. Welcome, Lisa, to Todd Talks. Delighted you can join me. Uh, thank you, Todd, for having me. Thank you for the invitation. It's great to be with you today. Thank you. Lisa, before we kind of jump in and begin to talk about uh, your new book, uh, which has been well-received and widely reviewed, I wonder if I could ask you a, a more general question. I know that many of our listeners and viewers would, would love to hear how it is uh, that you became a New Testament scholar. Uh, what, what was it? I mean, New Testament scholars aren't just born. <laughs> so what, what led you on the path to become a, a tenured New Testament professor at Princeton Theological Seminary? How did that, how did that all start? Wow, that's a great question, Todd. And I will give you the Reader's Digest version <laughs> because it's a it's a, a long story. But um, just to shorten it a little bit, so I grew up in the church. My dad pastored um, over thirty years, and I grew up in the Pentecostal tradition. So Scripture was always a very central part of my life and my family's life. And I didn't set out to become a New Testament scholar, though. <laughs> um, I ended up um, going that route via um, pursuing my master's degree in library and information studies. Okay. I did a project for that degree, and that kind of spurred my interest in that, in an academic study of the New Testament. And from there, um, I ended up going to Duke Divinity School, as you said in your introduction had a great experience there, and then um, ended up at PTS in, in the PhD program. So that's the Reader's Digest version, um, but I love what I do. And I think for me, um, the, the, the thread that runs through all of my education and my, and my spiritual formation and my family is the um, sacredness of scripture and seeing scripture as God's word. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't help but uh, uh, read uh, Richard Hayes's blurb uh, on the back, and I gather that Richard was one of your teachers along the way and yes. he in terms of a hermeneutic of trust as opposed yes. to a hermeneutic of suspicion. So, yes, uh, yes, I had great teachers there. Richard Hayes, Douglas Campbell, Susan Eastman, um, Joel Marcus. Yes. Great, great experience. <laughs> Remarkable New Testament faculty, as is the one at uh, PTS presently. Yes, um, <laughs> grateful to be here. <laughs> so, so Lisa, would you please offer uh, kind of um, a 30,000 foot uh, overview 
of your recent book, African American Readings of Paul. Not everyone uh, gets to sit in my seat and have the privilege of uh, having read the book. So uh, instead of having um, an arcane conversation that will involve two of us, uh, let's welcome folks in. And mm -hmm. we can do that if you wouldn't mind to kind of uh, give us a flyby uh, of, of this remarkable volume. Well, thank you, Todd, for that question. And um, I have to say, I'm very grateful for how well it has been received. Very thankful for that. But the central question of the book is how, how have African-Americans interpreted Paul and his letters? That's the central research question for me for the book. And I trace the answers to that question from the 1700s to the mid 20th century. And um, my initial goal was to go all the way to the 21st century, but it became apparent as I was doing the research that there was just too much material, too many interpreters to actually engage. So I stopped in the mid 20th century with the civil rights movement. And even with that, there, was, there are figures that I did not cover in the book, but the goal of the book is to investigate the significance of Paul for, for, for black American life okay. and how African-Americans have interpreted his letters in their sermons, in their autobiographies, in government documents like enslaved petitions, how have they interpreted Paul? How have they utilized his work in their own work? So Lisa, I, I'm sure others are wondering uh, what I'm wondering, and I'd love to ask you this question. Uh, what prompted you, so we know the research question, but what prompted you to pursue such an ambitious, important project in, in the first place? I mean, so uh, what gave rise to this research question and what saw you through uh, the arduous process that is research and writing? Yeah, great question. So let me back up for a second to my dissertation project because part of the original goal of that project was to include a chapter on um, how African-Americans have interpreted 2 Corinthians 12. Mm -hmm. And I had a great advisor, Ross Wagner, who is now at Duke, but at the time he was here at PTS. And he suggested that that question be a separate project. And so I was having conversations with him about that, having that as a separate project and not including it in my dissertation. But then at the same time, I was attending conferences where I kept hearing the story of Howard Thurman's grandmother, Nancy Ambrose, being put forth as the way African-Americans interpret Paul. Yes. And so those two things were kind of going on simultaneously. And so I just decided to expand that question, instead of just looking at how African-Americans have interpreted 2 Corinthians 12, Paul's ascent to the third heaven, how have they interpreted Paul more broadly? And is it really the case that Nancy Ambrose's story is the way? And so I begin the book with her story because I think it's a, it's a powerful story. It's a powerful part of um, the relationship that African-Americans have had with Paul. But as you see in the book, it's not the entire story. 
so a couple of those things, those things were happening at the same time. And that's what kind of um, compelled me to write the book. And it really was a journey for me. I learned a lot um, as I did research for the book. Um, the interpreters are amazing and phenomenal. Um, the way in which they use Paul and, and find strength in Paul's voice for their own voices was really a, a, a phenomenal um, research journey for me. So Lisa, once again, for those who uh, have yet to read the book or perhaps uh, are not familiar with Nancy Ambrose's take yeah. on Paul. Yeah. Uh, what, is, what is her take? And uh, how did you find resources within African-American uh, Pauline hermeneutics, biblical interpretation that served as counterpoints? Yeah, so Nancy Ambrose is um, Howard Thurman's grandmother. And Howard Thurman is a prominent theologian, pastor of the 20th century, um, very important, significant figure. And he tells this story in his book called Jesus and the Disinherited of how um, he used to read certain passages of scripture for his grandmother because she was an enslaved person and she never learned to read or write. And so he tells a story of how he you know, would often read scripture to her. And he noticed that there were certain parts of scripture that she did not request for him to read. And so one day he gets up the courage to ask her, right? Why is it that you never want me to read anything from Paul other than 1 Corinthians 13? And she tells him that um, when she was an enslaved person, the master's minister would often preach something from Paul and it would always be slaves obey your masters. And she promised herself that if freedom ever came, she would never read that part of the Bible anymore. And so that is such a powerful story because it gives you a glimpse of how Paul was used, unfortunately, by slaveholders and their ministers. But it also gives you a glimpse into how some African-Americans saw Paul and reacted to him because of the way Paul was preached to them. So she had a, an aversion for Paul other than 1 Corinthians 13. And so um, that story, as I said, is very significant but as I kept going to these conferences, it kept becoming um, the story, if you will, being put forth as the way African-Americans interpreted Paul. And so I just wanted to investigate and see if that was really true. And then what I have found is that, although that is part of the story, more often than not, African-Americans saw Paul as a figure of liberation they gravitated toward him as a figure of justice and equality. And they saw in him, um, I guess you could say a kinship figure, if you will. Um, they really resonated with his sufferings, his, his language of suffering, because it, it spoke to their own experiences. Right. And so, yes, I'm sorry, go ahead, yes. No, no, I was just saying yes. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. So they really gravitated toward Paul, and I think, what you find in the book is this remarkable um, ability of these interpreters to gravitate toward a figure that was often used against them, but they saw in Paul a figure of justice and liberation, someone with whom they um, felt connected to in many ways. So Lisa, as you carried out this research, 
are there particular Pauline passages that mm -hmm. recurred? And um, uh, in contradistinction, for example, to the household coats uh, that were employed and deployed by uh, slave uh, owners uh, in trying to uh, conscript and require service from the enslaved. Um, are, are, are there passages towards which um, African-American interpreters gravitated to find Paul as this liberating voice? Yes, yeah, so one of the things I should say is for these interpreters, they're not following the um, modern biblical demarcations between Pauline epistles and Deutero Paul. For them, Hebrews is written by Paul. Colossians, Ephesians, 1 Timothy. And for them, the Paul in Acts yep. is the same as the Paul of the letters. <laughs> so one of the passages that constantly recurs throughout the centuries is Acts 17, 26, mm -hmm. where Paul gives this speech, right, in Athens. And he, he says, God has made of one blood all the nations of the earth, right? So that passage recurs a lot um, throughout the centuries in different documents. And you find African-Americans gravitating towards that speech for several reasons. First, because it talks about the unity of humanity, that God has created us all one, right? So there's no superior race uh, to the other, no race is superior to the other. But then there's also this emphasis on the unity for which um, God, but the unity God has created for humanity. And so they're pushing against, um, in enslavement times, they're pushing against this white supremacy orientation of the slaveholders. And then in, um, they're also pushing against segregation when we get into to the 20th century, segregation, Jim Crow. Yeah. So that passage becomes uh, an important passage to talk about the unity of humanity, to talk about God's intent for one humanity. And also, it's also important for them to talk about black humanity, right? That African-Americans are human. And that I talk about that in the book about this discussion about whether or not blacks are even considered human. So for them to talk about this passage of one humanity is to assert black significance and black humanness as well. Fascinating. Lisa, so uh, those of us who conduct research, um, whatever our discipline might be, let's, we're both New Testament scholars. Yeah. <laughs> those of us who kind of live and move and have our being in the New Testament to allude to Acts 17 again, uh, <laughs> uh, what, it, what is it that, that surprised you along the way? And, and mm -hmm. I might also ask, uh, what is it that disappointed you? I, I mean, the, these are kind of visceral reactions when you're engaged in research and you, you, you read something and you say, that is utterly amazing. Or, ah, I wish I hadn't read that. <laughs> that's, that's pretty disappointing. I mean, anything necessarily stand out? Well, I would have to say one of the surprising things for me was the amount of positive interpretations for Paul. I mean, that I was not expecting to find that. And um, I'm happy with that though, that I'm a Pauline scholar. So I'm glad that was the case. 
but that was a surprise for me. I, I really thought I would find more negative appropriations of Paul. Like, you know, and I do talk about a couple of people in the book, Howard Thurman and Albert Clay, but for the most part, um, there were many positive um, understandings of Paul. And so that was a surprise. Um, I think the disappointing part of your question to answer that part, I think um, some of the material is really difficult to read. Okay. And um, I think as I was doing research on the book, there were moments where I had to kind of step away for a little bit and just kind of uh, take a walk or um, mm -hmm. just kind of do something to decompress, yes. converse with family members about what I was yeah. reading. So yeah. I think, um, I don't know if I would characterize that as disappointing, but some of the material is quite heavy. So I had to kind of um, do some things to um, decompress and just take a break. But I would also say, even though the material is heavy and difficult at some points, I was also very inspired by these interpreters. And all of them, you know, utilize Paul in different ways in their own context. But they're all very inspiring and challenging. And I was very much encouraged by them, by their stories and by their um, by their um relentlessness, right? Their, their um, ability to stand even in the midst of everything they were facing, quite, quite amazing. Speaking of talking to family, as you found yourself in the midst of the project, I couldn't help but notice that you dedicated the volume to your family, especially to your parents and yes. in the memory of your grandparents and also in the memory of a spiritual father uh, yes. and, uh, to your great grandfather, uh, yes, uh, I I just thought that uh, that was really meaningful to me. Yes, so uh, you know to, to 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 link this as you said, I mean, growing up in a in a minister's family. Mm -hmm. uh, so yes, uh, yeah, yeah. So, I felt I felt yeah they are very much a part of who I am. So I felt like I had to dedicate to them. Yes. <laughs> So um, I'm wondering, Lisa, you, you mentioned uh, in general that you so appreciated the variety of voices, uh, not least uh, a, kind of, uh, a kind of swelling chorus of appreciation for Paul. But I mean, would you be able to say um, there was one particular interpreter who just really captivated you? I know that's just like kind of choosing between your, 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 your children. They're all your favorite in one way or another. But I mean, was, yeah. is there someone that you say, um, I really appreciated uh, uh, what they were writing. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. learning even as I'm enjoying what I'm reading here. Yeah, that is such a tough question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, I, I felt like as I was doing this research, I just felt like I, I became a part of these interpreters' stories. Yeah. You know, you read about them and you, you feel like you feel what they feel and you're like, you're taken into their world. Um, so I think all of them really resonate with me in a really important way. But if I had to choose one figure, 
I guess it would be Zilpha Elaw. Yeah. Um, just a remarkable uh, creature. She was a black female preacher in her time, and she was fearless. I mean, all of I mean, all of the women I talk about in the book, I think, were fearless. They they were often um, ostracized because of they were following their call to preach and minister. So they were ostracized because of their gender, but then also because of their race. But they were determined to follow God's call. And Zilpha, I think for me, um, is remarkable. And I really resonated with her story and her following God's call for her to preach. And, you know, she was born free, but she goes to the slave states and preaches and and she does that knowing the um, possibility and you know, how dangerous that would, how dangerous that is and the possibility that she could be captured and enslaved. But she does it anyway because she believes that's what God calls her to do. And so, yeah, I think if I had to choose, I would choose Zilpha, but all of them in many ways speak, speak to my life. So we're gonna pivot in just a minute but I want to encourage those who are uh, watching and who are listening to uh, take up and read African-American readings of Paul, Reception, Resistance, and Transformation. Uh, this is a volume that will inform and inspire, and we're grateful for your research and writing, Lisa. So I want to ask you a couple more questions. Sure. Uh, if you don't mind. So sure. here's my first one. Um, you end the volume by saying, um, where do we go from here? Um, mm -hmm. So uh, you recognize, as any researcher does, uh, there is more work yet to be done. So um, uh, where do you see and sense that more work needs to be done in particular in the field of African-American Pauline hermeneutics? Or, or maybe another way to ask a question is if you were to write a second volume, I'm not, I'm not necessarily <laughs> suggesting that you should, although you might, um, where, where would you begin? What, what would you want to do with that book? Yeah, so as I you know, wrote this, began to do research on this topic, I realized that I was not going to be able to cover all these amazing figures. And there are many people that I ended up not talking about in the book that I think could be written about. Um, so I think, you know, there's more historical work to be done. Um, looking at African-American interpreters in history and how they've utilized Paul. I think there's more work to be done there. I think there's more work to be done in terms of Paul's presence in literature. Yes. I think there's a lot to be done there. I think also there's more to be done in terms of um, spirituals. Yes. African-American spirituals and that relationship with Paul and Pauline literature. Yeah. I think there's a lot of areas yet to be mined, if you will, in terms of, of Paul and Pauline studies. Um, another element that I'm beginning to work on more is um, this understanding of apocalyptic and African-American interpretations of Paul. I talk a little bit about it in the book, but not a lot, but I'm hoping to do more in that area, um, the intersections between 
what we in biblical studies, Pauline studies, the apocalyptic and the understandings of these African-Americans in terms of an apocalyptic framework. So I think there's more to be done there as well. Um, so I'm hoping that this book would spur more research in these areas. Because I think just as I've learned so much from these interpreters, I think there are so many other interpreters out there that we can learn from. Um, yeah, in terms of Paul and Pauline study. Yeah, they become our teachers. Yes, they do, yes. So uh, Lisa, uh, one final question, if you don't mind. So um, uh, what are you working on? Uh, what, what's, what's next from Lisa Bowens? Uh, what, what should we keep our eyes open for and do in, in the fullness of time, as it were? <laughs> well, I have a lot on my plate at the moment. <laughs> I so, can see. <laughs> I'm co-editing one volume with Scott McKnight and Joseph Modica on Preaching Romans from Here, and co-editing a volume with Dennis Edwards on Do Black Lives Matter? How Christian Scriptures Speak to Black Empowerment. And um, I'm also working on a monograph on Apocalyptic and Martin Luther King Jr., Wow. And two commentaries, one on First Second Thessalonians and one on Second Corinthians. So got a lot going, <laughs> but it's all good work. I'm I'm really grateful, and I love I love what I do. So I'm thankful. It's it looks like it's full to overflowing, friend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, in the midst of. Uh, the end of the semester and uh, all of the research that are you, you are conducting and uh, all the committees on which you are serving and all of the service that are you, you are rendering outside of PTS. Uh, Lisa, thank you for carving out this time. Uh, it's been uh, wonderful to visit with you uh, regarding this very important volume, African-American Readings of Paul. I thank you uh, very much, and I respect and appreciate this important work. Thank you, Todd. Thank you so much for having me, for the invitation to be with you today, and I appreciate so much the time that you've taken with me. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, happy spring in Princeton. Thanks. Same to you. Have a good end of the semester. Take good care. Bye, Lisa. Bye-bye.